Today I want to speak about what's going on in the world, or specifically really in our country, and that is the terrible riots and looting that are taking place. The actual incident that triggered it was, of course, uh, disgusting and, and reprehensible to the extreme, but the reaction is equally as revolting. And when you see these videos of people that are breaking into stores and taking things from people that don't belong to them and uh, complete hashchasa, complete chamas, it's really uh, shocking for a bentaira to see these things. A bentaira who would never borrow a penny without making sure to write a star and to return it, uh, has to watch with his pure eyes these uh, terrible thugs and, and gang members and, uh, and people that have absolutely zero moral, zero Yerushalayim, to be able to break into other people's property and, and take their things and destroy uh, and loot and pillage, all brazenly not caring the fact that, there is, that they're on video and they know it, this is the worst that uh, we could have ever imagined that our society would would become. There's a mission in Pirkayavis that says, Have malchus. You always have to daven for the peace of the malchus of the government, because if not for the fact that people have a fear of government, ishes a person would literally swallow up somebody that's weaker than him. It would, be, uh, it would be complete anarchy, if not for the fear of government. And we see exactly that playing out in our very own country. This is not Iran, and this is not uh, you know, other third world countries. Um, this is the United States of America, and you see that there's complete lawlessness, chaos, anarchy, no fear of police, no fear of the National Guard, breaking police cars, smashing them, turning them over, burning them by the dozens, dragging police officers through the street. This is something that is a government's worst nightmare. Because if there's anarchy and nobody really cares anymore, then we're really left with, uh, with really nothing. And we have to really fear for our life. It's probably a lot more scary this phase of this year of 2020 than, than COVID. COVID, at least, we were able to stay indoors and protect ourselves. Here, we don't even know if we have security in the comfort of our own homes. Not to in any way try to get into the minds of these people um, who are doing these looting and this pillaging. I have no idea how they could ever do it, and it's a time to give gratitude for the yeshiva system that we have, which teaches us right from wrong, and Yerushalayim, and Musar, and Leisignav, and Leisigzal, and basically the, uh, the question, what, um, you know, how, what could they possibly be thinking breaking into people's uh, property? And again, not in any way to justify it, but the only thing that, the only rationale is that they feel that they have been so wronged that society owes them. 
society owes them, either because of slavery or because of, you know, the fact that they can't uh, find decent jobs and that the, uh, the, the, the economy seems always to favor other classes and not them, and they're always uh, the weaker and uh, the have-nots, and they see other people with haves, and they feel that it's, it's a terrible wrong and, a, and that's been committed, and therefore they feel that they have the full right to take to, to take from the white man, to take from uh, the wealthy, and to redistribute the wealth, because that is something that they feel that is their entitlement. And it's very hard to uh, condone behavior in any way, and, and this is obviously reprehensible, but I just want to deal with, with that musug for a second how a person that feels that they are wronged and they are slighted and they are always on the, you know, on the weaker end of society, how they could ever possibly, um, how, how wrong they could be about that. There's a Pasuk in, in Mishle, Shlema Melech writes in Parak Yud Gimel, Pasuk Zion, Yesh mis Asher ve'ein kol, mis Roishesh which means that some pretend to be rich but have nothing and others act poor and have great wealth. Which means that a lot of times you think in your mind that people that have stores, people that have cars, people that have homes, they automatically are very, very wealthy and therefore you get jealous and you feel that you should really have that. But in truth, says the Pasuk and Mishle, they, they seem wealthy, but they really don't have. People think that you can loot and you could uh, pillage big stores or small mom-and-pop operations. They, they must have a lot of money, these people. You don't know. You just don't know. A lot of times people literally have nothing, and they're trying very hard to make a parnasa, and they begged, borrowed, and did everything to build a store and to, and to try to make some parnasa for their family, but they don't really have anything. They're really very much in the red constantly. They, they can't pay their own bills. And they, it seems on the surface that they're very much sliach. It seems that they're making a lot of money and they have customers coming to their store and they seem to be doing very well. They're driving a nice car, but the Pasuk says that's not true. You don't always know who has money just by your eyes. Just because you think that certain people have a lot of money, they ain't called, they don't have anything. And then sometimes you see people that don't have money, or they seem to not have money, and they're very, very wealthy people. So it's very hard in, in you know, just using what you seem to think about what other people have is very, very often the exact opposite of the truth. This is something, obviously, that they will not understand, but we have to understand it. We have to understand it because sometimes we're guilty of doing bizarre anpin, a very, very microscopic, in a very microscopic way, similar type of, of attitudes towards other people. We see people... We size them up because of their homes, because of their cars, because of their business, because of their titles, and we think automatically that they're very, very wealthy. And so we feel we have the right to give them an ayinhara and to speak about them, and, but the truth is that they might not have anything. 
There's a beautiful story that's told about a very wealthy individual in a certain city who went to uh, the head of Tamche Shabbos in that local community. Tamche Shabbos is a wonderful organization where people every Thursday night make deliveries to other people's homes very uh, stealthily, clandestinely. They drop off packages, boxes for Shabbos with, uh, with provisions that the family would need. And this person comes to the head of this Tamche Shabbos organization and he says, I want to give a very big donation to your tzedakah. He says, wow, that's wonderful, beautiful. Yeah, I want to give $50,000. So he says, fine, wonderful, here's the, uh, you know, here's the address you could send your check to. He says, but before I give it, I want to see the list of all the people that are recipients of Tamche Shabbos in the community. I don't want to just take, you know, take your word for it, I want to see the actual list. He says, Mr. So-and-so, I'm very sorry, we don't give out the list. That's very, very secret, personal, private. We would never breach the privacy of the, of the clients that we have. He says, okay, no problem, that's very nice. How about $75,000 and give me the list? He says, no, still not going to give you the list. He says, okay, $100,000. I'll write you out a check right now for $100,000, but I want to see the list of every recipient of the time Chesh Abbas. And he says, I'm sorry, you can give me a million dollars, I'm not showing you the list, that's just the policy of time Chesh Abbas. At this point, this Gevir breaks down and starts crying. And he says, now that I know that the secret is safe by you, I want to sign up myself for Tam Shabbos. This person was a person that the whole community thought was, was so wealthy, and he was the Gevir of town. He had the big house and the big cars in the driveway and, and, and beautiful clothing, and really he himself needed Tam Shabbos. He needed to receive Tamche Shabbos, but nobody would know it. Everybody's too busy giving him an Ayin Hara and thinking how great it is and ta- talking at the Shabbos table about how much money he's making, and really he doesn't have the money. He doesn't have the money. I, I know for a fact that there are people in the fanciest parts of New York, New Jersey, that you would think are loaded, super wealthy, beautiful palatial estates, and they don't have lechem lechel. They pasha do not have, they're living on massive loans and credit card bills, and they have no idea how they're going to pay their rent, how they're going to pay their mortgage. And I know it sounds crazy, but that's the reality. Just to contrast what the end of Shlema Melech's Pasuk is, Misroishesh Mehain Rav, there are people that act poor, but they really have a tremendous amount. There are many people that we know about who you think mamish don't have any money. You think that they're dirt poor. They live in like a you know in a in a in a shack of a house that hasn't been touched in fifty years, and they uh, they drive an old beaten up car. But very often these are people that when they die they have thirty, forty, fifty million dollars in the bank. And it's not uncommon. It's very, I mean, if you do it, obviously, to, a, to an extreme, it's a sickness for a person to be miserly and, and, to, um, and to, not, uh, to not be able to, uh, to spend money. That's also not good. But a lot of times a person 
has so much money, but he doesn't show it to anybody. Which means that this world is a very, very deceptive habitat to live in. You see people and you think they're rich and they're poor. You see people that you think are poor and they're rich. And our eyes are deceiving us daily and we're putting ayinharas on people that cannot afford the ayinara and we're not and, and, we're, and we're underestimating other people's actual potential and actual wealth because we were so easy, easily convinced by our eyes of what we think is the truth. I always use like Warren Buffett as an example. Warren Buffett is a person who, you know, he's one of the wealthiest men in the world, the greatest investor in, in history. And Warren Buffett is a person who lives, I don't know if he still does, but at least he used to live so bitsimsum. He lived in an old house, his original house, that his starter house that he bought. He never touched it. He could have bought any house literally in the world, but he chose to just stay in that simple house. Why? I don't know. But that's, that's, he didn't need it. He doesn't make money because he wants to spend money. He makes money because this is what he's good at. But he has no ambition to spend the money. He wants to take all the money that he makes and reinvest it in the market and, and make more money. But this is the way life is. Life is something that we don't really ever know what's true and what's false, what's emiss and what's sheker. And so the people that are looting and, and, and convincing themselves that it's okay because, you know, they are, they are being treated so unjustly by the wealthy, they don't even know that the people that are they're breaking into these stores are people that are very often not wealthy at all. They're trying their best. And these behemoths go and, and they, they start ransacking stores and businesses and companies without any consideration for what the people that own the store will have to go through now. The suffering, the pain, the anxiety of not having a business, and, and they're not wealthy, all these people. Most of them are probably not wealthy. But you have so quickly paskin that they are wealthy, and therefore you're entitled to take from them what's theirs, because you feel that some reason you're entitled to it, it's so wrong on so many levels. We don't have to get in even into the lumbus of it, but but just for us to take something away from, we can never be convinced that what other people have is really what they have, because a lot of times what you think they have really they don't have. And what they what you think they don't have, they actually very often do have. If you look at the Vilna Gain on this Pasuk and Mishlei, this Pasuk and Mishlei has, is treated by the Vilna Gain in a brilliant manner, as the Vilna Gain does with all the Psukim in Mishlei. There's a, a classic commentary of the, of the Vilna Gain on all the Psukim in Mishlei, and we once did an Yeshiva by Yavad that I gave, and it's just brilliant Chachma that, that the Vilna Gain draws out of every Pasuk in Mishlei. So on this Pasuk that says that there are people that you think are wealthy, but they don't have anything, and then there are people that you think are poor and they have a lot. So the Vilna Gain says that the same thing is true when it comes to Torah knowledge. Meaning the Pasuk is not just merely speaking about a, a, a wealth, a, a monetary wealth that you, that you could be fooled about. But there's also a Torah wealth 
that people are easily fooled by. Rabbi Shlomo Freifeld, who was the great Rosh Hashiva in Sharyashev, and I always recommend this book, it's called uh, Rabbi Shlomo, it's a phenomenal book, uh, written by uh, Rabbi Yisrael Besser, he did a masterful job in really capturing, I think, the essence of Rabbi Shlomo Freifeld, who was a pioneer of Kiro, of a tremendous Adam Gadol, a Talmud of Ravutner, and the story goes, Freifel was a very tall man. I don't know, he's like 6'8", maybe. He was very, very tall, very big, very imposing. And he said that he was actually 6'5". He once walked into a bank to make a deposit. And when he approached the female teller sitting behind the glass window, she told him that the that she that he was the biggest rabbi she had ever seen. She normally she's used to seeing small rabbis, you know, coming in, and they're always you know rabbis are generally very short in her world at least. And uh, and she said that uh, you're the biggest rabbi that I ever saw. And then she says after that that there appears to be a problem with your account, and that you need to go upstairs to speak to the bank manager. So Rabbi Freifeld made his way to the manager's office and asked him about the problem with his account. The manager consulted his computer and confirmed to Rabbi Freifeld that his account was coming up short. Rabbi Freifeld then noted to the manager that the teller downstairs had a very different perception of his height. And Rabbi Freifeld said, when he used to tell over this Misa, he would say that in this world... People are judged by such superficial things as looks and talents. However, when our souls return to our Maker after we die, we are judged by a completely different standard, and only in the next world are we perceived for what we truly are. Which means that down here, the the bank teller on the first floor tells us that we are the tallest people that she's ever seen, because people are very easily fooled. What does that mean, people are easily fooled? If people think that you're learning in yeshiva and they think that you're, uh, you know, you, you basically seem to be talking and learning a little bit, you tell a bard at the parsha, all of a sudden people think that you're the God Ladar. They think that you know everything, you know Shas, because you one time said, yeah, I think it's also Gemara and Yavamis. People automatically think you know Yavamis, you know, uh, you know all the Rishainim, all the Achreinim. People, right? It's true, right? If we, if we throw out just a little bit of knowledge... People get very convinced that we're much greater than we actually are. So down here, the bank teller says how tall we are. And we begin to convince ourselves that we're very tall. We begin to think, you know what, it's taka true. I am a, I'm the God of Ladar. Look, everybody thinks I am, so then I am. And then the problem is that we go up to Shammai and we go up to the bank teller on the second floor of the, of the, of the bank and the bank teller tells us, unfortunately, that we've come up short. We're not as big as we thought we were. And what we have been able to convince others about and convince ourselves about was really quite misleading. So that's how the Vilna Gain explains this Pasuk on a deeper level. He explains that the Pasuk that says, Yesh mis'asher ve'en kail, there are people that are very wealthy, 
but they really have nothing, could refer to Torah knowledge as well. People go through life with the proverbial fancy car claiming that they're a Talmud Chacham, boasting that, of their knowledge, and being taking, taking credit for things that really they don't deserve. And they sell everybody this lie that they are a huge Talmud Chacham when they're not. And then the converse is true also, says the Vilnagayim. Misroishesh behind Rav. People act very poor, but really they have tremendous knowledge. I know many, many people that they are very simple, they look to be very, very simple balabatim. You would pass them in shul, you wouldn't think that they're anything special, they dress normal, they're clean-shaven, they have a you know regular 9-to-5 job, but if you scratch a little beneath the surface, you'll see these people are magnificent in their Torah knowledge. They're, they're mamish, they're doing the daf and then they're doing dirshu, and they're doing a smichas chaver program, and they're like, they're, they're going for smicha on the side, and they have a Mishnah Bura Seder at 5 o'clock in the morning, and they go to the daf, they daven vasikin. There are people that are really, you would think, on the surface, they're just regular people. Misreishish, they pretend to be regular, but behind Rab, there's, there's tremendous wealth there. So when it comes to Torah knowledge, it's also a deceptive universe that we live in. Because the people sometimes that we think are big Tamid Chachamim are really not. And the people that we think that are not Tamid Chachamim, very often they are. And the takeaway is that you can never be naive on one hand. Don't automatically assume that everybody is a huge Tamid Chacham. But on the other hand, don't assume that people are amaratzim or very simple people either, because a Jew is never simple. There's a Gemara that says, Darshing a Pasagin Shirashirim of Kepelach Harimen Rakesecha, comparing Kla Yisrael to a pomegranate. And the comparison is that just like a, that, that even Peshe Yisrael, says the Gemara, even the, the simplest of Jews, are Malayan mitzvahs cream, and there is full of mitzvahs like a pomegranate. A pomegranate, we know, is supposedly 613 seeds. That's how a, a regular simple yid is. You scratch the surface a little bit, all of a sudden you find that they're magnificent, that they're amazing people. People that you wouldn't even expect. Sometimes you speak to regular people, you think that they're, you know, you're the rabbi and they're the balabas, and it turns out that it's the opposite. They might dress and act and live like Balabatim or like very simple, common people, but if you know their starum that they're keeping and all of their, their busy schedules and the amount of tzedakah that they, that they so liberally distribute on Niyam and, and all of the wonderful things that they're doing, whether it's Hatzalah, whether it's Chaverim, whether it's uh, starting uh, tremendous organizations or being lay leaders in their shuls and their communities, these are G'daylem masquerading as simple, as simple people. And then there are people that are pretending to be great, but really they're not. That's how life is. You never really know in life what's the truth and what's not the truth. The only time, and this is the scary part of the Shmuz, that the only time that you really find out is in the Eilam Emes. The Chavitz Chaim used to say, Naida Basha Arim Baila Bishiftai Im Zikne Aretz. 
We're going to sing it tonight, Mitzvah Shem. Noida Basharim Baila. It's one of the scariest words that Chavitz Chaim ever said. Noida Basharim Baila, her husband. What does that mean? Who's, who, what's Eshes Chayel talking about? It's not just simply talking about a woman. It could be, but the deeper understanding of Eshes Chayel is talking about a man's relationship to Tyra. Tyra should be the person's wife. So, when do you find out who the real Bailam of the Tyra is? Who's the husband of the Tyra? Who's really the person that earns the title as being the Baal of the Tyra? So, Rabbi Vegar, they say a famous story about him on Simchas Tyra. He looked a little sad after he got his Aliyah of, of, of being Chassam Bereshis, or Chassam Tyra, rather. So they asked him, why are you so sad? You just got chasen tayr again. They made a beautiful mishabert for you. We're going to make a, a kiddush for you. You're the rav. You deserve it. You're the gadoladar. So he says, you know, I've been getting chasen tayr now for close to 35 years. And I still don't know the kal. I'm considered the chasen tayr. I'm the chasen of the tayr, but I still don't know the kal. That's the great Reb Kivager talking. If Rabbi Kivager doesn't know the Kala, what should we say? If he felt that he didn't know the Kala, how much more so do we claim to know the Kala because we learn a couple of blood in Yeshiva, because we, we know a few Sifim in Shulchan Aruch, because we learn a little Musa, a little, that, does that make us be able to claim that, we're, that we do know the Kala? We know Mamash Akutza Shal Yud of the Kala. When do you find out the truth? You want to know when you find out exactly who's the husband of the Tyre, who's the chasan of the Tyre, really? says the When you die and you're sitting around with the Zikne Aretz, you're sitting around in the presence of Ramesha Feinstein, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, Rabbi and the Stipler, all those people who went through the same world as we did, pretty much, give or take, and they were able to mamish be G'dayli Yisrael on their level, did we fulfill our potential on our level? Obviously, it's a different kufa. We don't have the brains that I, of those people. We don't have the upbringing. We don't have the, the uh, you know, many of the things that they had. That's true. And we were living in an age of technology and taiva and decadence. But when we come up to the Elam Emes, we're going to have to really see for ourselves what the truth was. We're going to see it not just for ourselves, but other people. The people that we thought were big, we're going to see how small they might have been. The people that were small, we're going to see how huge they were. And that's a, that's a very sobering thought. Because we have to make sure in life to be genuine people. To be genuine a lot of times we could learn very little and think we're getting away with murder. I don't have to learn more than this. I, I already, there's people, you know, a lot of times this is a, a machla that happens to Rabbanim. Because Rabbanim, you know, in Yeshiva, they learn very stark and they, had a lot of, they have a lot of ideas. And now let's say they become a Rav in Yehopet, somewhere in the, you know, in a place, a very simple town. There's no challenge for them. They're the smartest person in town. They're the biggest Amal Chacham. Everybody already gives them the covet of being a Rav. So they begin to think to themselves, I don't need to learn anymore. There's no need for me to continue steigen because I'm already there. I already, I'm already, I got my PhD already in Tyra. Like there's no, there's no going higher. 
There's no going higher. What, what do I need? I'm going to learn more, and then what? I could, I could forget 90% of what I learned and still be better than, than the greatest person in this town in learning. And this very often happens that we settle for mediocrity in our learning because we, are, we get complacent. And we think that people are already thinking I'm a big Tamachacham because I, I learned a couple of years in Yeshiva and I was a Masman and I did the right thing. So now everybody considers me to be already accomplished in learning and people talking in, you know, and they, they speak about you by dinners and they, uh, you know, uh, how, what a big Tamachacham you are, Tamachacham, you know, that word, that title of Tamachacham gets thrown around so loosely today that it's almost worthless. Because everybody's a Talmud Chacham. A Talmud Chacham. Reb Chaim Kanievsky is a Talmud Chacham. That's a Talmud Chacham. A person that knows Kalatar Kula, that Chazer has what he calls Chayvis every single day. He has his debts that he has. Reb Chaim Kanievsky could have retired at 18 years old and he'd still probably be the biggest Talmud Chacham in the generation. Literally. At 18, he's already writing Sarim, um, the Nachal Eson. If you ever have a chance, maybe you could look it up on, online. Nachal Eson. It's a, it's a masterful work on the Hilchas Egla Rufo, which is a very obscure topic to write on. I don't think before Chaim Kanievsky came around, there was like that much Taira on, on Egla Rufa. He made a whole Chibur about it, a, a, a big, thick Sefer, just on, on Egla Rufa. This before computers came out, before anything. He has like, he, he basically weaves Kala Kula through the laws of Egla Rufa. That was at 18 years old he did this. Stipler wrote an amazing haskama to him for that. But that was at 18 years old. He could have stopped then and there, never learned a word, retired, and he'd still be... But yet every single year he's making a siyam on Kala He's chazering and chazering and chazering a million times over. He's writing, he's on fire, he never stops. That's what a Talmud Chacham is. That's a real, genuine Talmud Chacham. But a person that like learns a little bit and they fool people, and we fool, forget fooling other people. That's a different problem. The worst thing to do is to fool ourselves. That we consider ourselves to be people that are very accomplished in learning when we're not. Now, obviously, every bit of learning that we do, we're supposed to feel very good about that, and, and treasure that, and cherish it, and understand that it's very chashev. But at the same time, we have to very much be careful to not ever delude ourselves into thinking that we've made it in any which way. And if a person stays hungry, then you're going to be a real Tamil Chacham someday. We're all going to be big Tamil Chacham if we really maintain this hunger and this thirst for learning and this drive. But the second that we turn off the motor and we say, you know what, I can idle now because in my shul I'm, I'm much, I have smicha, and in my shul, no one else does. I, I, I made a siyam on shas with dafyami, very few people did that, and I'm, uh, I, you know, I do this, and I, but that's not what we're nearly capable of. That's a big problem. That's a big problem. That's fooling ourselves into thinking that we're that Gavir. It's one thing if I think that somebody else is a Gavir, but let's say the Gavir who's drowning in debt thinks that he's a Gavir and he continues his spending spree. That's a very dangerous man. It's a very, very important thing, especially as this isn't the closer schmooze, but it, you know, it could have been. It's a very dangerous thing. We go into the summer and we, uh, we have so much free time. 
during the during the semester we have a lot of work to do and we have shear and we have and we have finals and midterms and papers to write and, and applications to fill out and interviews and all that we're busy in the summer a lot of a lot of us have a lot of time on our hands too much time on our hands and but we feel like okay we had a good year and now we could chill a little bit and we can but that's not true that's not true we have to be able to constantly continue our growth and learning and not settle for mediocrity, not say, well, this is good enough because it's still a lot. And it is a lot, and that's good, but you should try to use your time wisely. We should try to use our time wisely and really try to grow and set goals for ourselves for the summer, what we want to accomplish. I want to, I want to chaza this mesechta that I learned this year. I want to learn a, a chelik of mishnabura. I want to chaza a mishnayis. I want to learn a, a musr. I want whatever it is. I want to write a chibur on a certain topic. I want to, I want to explore kiddush hachaydish. Something that, I, I, whatever it might be, every person on their own level. But if a person is able to make real goals, and now is the time, because in a week from today we're going to be already in summer break for who knows how long, two and a half, three months, it's such a long amount of time. I mean, it's this is true doubly so this month because we were all home and, you know, it has not been an easy time for us to be home for so long before the summer starts. That's with all the Tamidim Kisidra and the, the Starim and the, and the Shmuzan and the Vadin and all the Shirim that were offered. But... If a person goes into the summer without any plans, with all of that time, it's such a dangerous thing. The reason why we don't feel we have to is because, oh, I'm doing okay. But in Shemaim, they're going to judge us for that. They're going to expect a lot more. Rav Aaron Cutler quoted from the Altar from Slabotka. Also, very, very, you know, it gives us a lot of reason to think. He used to say that we know that there's a concept called bitl tyro, that wasting time from tyro, which is a scary thing in and of itself. But a lot of us are unaware that the Altaf and Slabotka gave us a very fundamental yisaid, and that is that just like there's bitl tyro in general, there's also something called bitl tyro be'echos, which means to say that if we're not learning to the level that we're capable of learning, that's also considered to be a bitl tyra. We're going to have to give a din v'cheshman for that. So meaning if I say, listen, I, I did dafyaymi today. Did you do bi'in also? No, I didn't do bi'in, but I did dafyaymi. So that's a good thing. You can't fault a person for doing dafyaymi, but on a certain deeper level, the fact that you weren't learning on a deeper plane of, of tyra, that you didn't actually use your brain to think because you were just so busy flying through the Gemara on a very superficial level, that also might be considered Bittol Taira. And so a person has to really set goals for themselves and make sure to keep those goals. Every day to learn a certain amount, Bi'iyon and Bikiyos and Halacha and Musr. And it's not easy because, you know, ironically, the more time we have, the less time we actually use to do the right thing. But... Don't ever judge yourself based on other people's perception of you. Because when you do that, then you're basically like that poor guy that's, that acts rich, and everyone treats him like a rich guy, so he thinks he's rich. But he really is very, very poor, and he's getting a lot poorer by the minute because of those false accolades. 
And we have to be true to ourselves, be true to the Torah, and always try to up our game in learning. You know, there are people that are very similar in the world of sports, Lahavdil. There are people that, you know, that are so great in sports that you think that they never have to practice. Whether they're Olympic athletes or whether they are uh, basketball players or, or football players or quarterbacks or, you know, or soccer or whatever, you think that they don't need to practice. These guys are the best in the world. You have a Tom Brady or you have a, a LeBron James or all these guys that you think, do they really need to practice? Would they get rusty if they didn't, you know, would, they would still be light years ahead of the guy, next, the, the next guy in, in the NBA or, or the NBA. So why are they, but yet, you know what they do? Every day they practice like Meshuggah because they don't care. They want to up their, they want to make sure that they're playing on the level that they expect of themselves. Yeah, they could win championships without that, but they don't want to rest on their laurels. They want to constantly climb and make sure that they're better and their their game is better and their passing skills, their shooting skills, their, they want to make sure that they are personally the best that they could be. And that's what separates the real Hall of Famers from everybody else because they're never satisfied. They never rest on their laurels. But when people do rest on their laurels, and they just say, I'm good enough, I know enough, I don't have to ever be you know, better than this because I'm still getting all the covet of being a Tamachacham without doing that, that's a very, very uh, scary place to be. The, the Vilnagain used to say that in life people are either ascending or descending. You can't stay static. It's impossible for a person to say, I'm comfortable with right where I am, and that's where I'm going to stay. It, if you could do that, that would be amazing. But it doesn't happen that way. A person is either climbing or he's dropping. If you look at stocks on the stock market, they don't just stay the same. They go either up or they go down. But they're always going up or down. It's either green or red. It's never just flatline. Flatline means you're dead. The only time that you stay static in one place is when a person, Rahman al-Sallam, literally flatlines. When a human being is alive... A human being is a mahalach. He's moving. He's either moving up or he's moving. We think, okay, well, I'm just going to stay on the couch and I'm not moving. That's not true. By staying on the couch, you are moving. You're moving sometimes on a downward level because it's not so much what you're not doing, but it's what you could be doing potentially. We don't understand our full potential, but we, we think we know our potential and, we're, and we're, we're comfortable with where we are. The Altaf and Slabatka was the greatest mechanech in, maybe in, in, of all time, possibly, used to say that when I was young, I set my goals in life to be the Vilna Gaim. He says, I never attained that madrega, of course. There was only one Vilna Gaim. He says, but if I hadn't shot for the stars, if I hadn't done this moonshot of trying to become the Vilna Gaim, I wouldn't have become the Altaf and Slabatka. I would be very, very low. When you shoot very high, you're not going to maybe attain that, but if you shoot for the moon, you can make it to the stars. If you shoot for, you know, if you shoot for, for, for nothing, then you're going to be nothing. So a person always has to have real solid goals, have role models in life that you want to get to their levels, 
and keep raising the bar, not to make yourself neurotic and tense and, and pressure yourself. You should enjoy the summer. Mitzvah Hashem, you will enjoy the summer. You have to play ball. You have to go swimming. You have to spend time with your family. You have to do all the things that we always speak about doing, of course. But in terms of your personal Aveda, whether it's davening, whether it's learning, whether it's Musr, whether it's Bedan Lechaveh, whether it's Chesed, we have to always figure out ways to climb to grow, so that at the end of the summer we could look back in the summer and say, that was a summer that I'm proud of. That was a summer that I mamish accomplished a great thing. I did, I, did the, I did what was seemingly impossible, I was able to do it. People that set goals for themselves are amazed by what, what they're able to actually produce. If you don't set goals, one thing is clear, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. If you don't set any goals, then that's a failure. Success means that you're setting yourself up, you're trying to position yourself for accomplishing a great thing, and sometimes you will fail. Sometimes you'll fail, but many, many times you will succeed beyond your wildest imagination because the human being is infinite. The godless Adam that we have inside of us is so great, but we're, we're just so convinced that we're not so great and we're so mediocre that we don't strive for anything or we strive for very little, very, very little. And if a person would be able to really know who they are, and to appreciate who they are, and to understand that I could be really great, you don't know how great you could really become. If you shoot for being a Rosh Hashiva, you could maybe be a Rosh Hashiva, maybe even higher, or maybe you could at least be somewhere near Rosh Hashiva. But if you don't shoot for being Rosh Hashiva, you're not going to be anything. Because that's the way life is. If you want to be a billionaire, you might be a billionaire, you might be a, a millionaire, but hopefully you'll be matzah. But if, you sh- if you're shooting for just making you know, a regular job, and you're a goal, you really want to be very wealthy, but you're just, you're just doing a 9-to-5 job, and, and you know, that's not going to do it. So it's safe, but you're not going to ever really succeed beyond your wildest imagination, because you didn't invest anything in yourself. And so this is something that I think is a very, very important takeaway. The looting, um, which we use as a springboard to discuss this topic, is something that's so diametrically opposed to a bentire that we, can, we don't even need to discuss how, how morally repugnant it is. But the takeaway from, for us, I think, at least one of the takeaways might be this, that if their rationale, as crooked as it might be, is that they deserve what the rich man has. They deserve to loot all the stores, to loot uh, you know, big department stores and private mom and shop operations and to destroy cars and, and vandalize and do crazy things and scorch the entire world because, they are, because those are the rich. They're the haves and we're the have-nots and we want to get what they have. Don't be... It's such a foolish thing on... on, on forget about... But it's, such a, it's so wrong... Because you think that these people really have a lot of money. They don't. They don't have a lot of money. But you're fooled by it. And that's how we have to take a lesson. Don't fall into the same trap as believing that other people have it and we don't. Or that the people that don't have, you know, really don't have, they do. And in Shemaim, it's going to be very, very frightening for the people amongst us that think we're so great and we didn't fulfill our potential, and it's going to be embarrassing, humiliating, mortifying, but the people that were simple, 
and you thought didn't have anything to them, they're going to shine. You're going to see these are people that really, really were chashev. But that will only be found out in the next... This world is a world that you can scam anybody you want. So easy to scam people. We're very gullible. That's why a lot of times Jews fall for Ponzi schemes. Because another Yid is doing something, it's, you know, everyone's doing it, it's like he's, he's a genius. And you know, with three words, I, I'll give millions of dollars to them to, to invest for me. Without any due diligence, but because we're trusting, we believe anything. I could tell you that a certain guy is a buck in Shas and Pais, and you'll believe me right away. But it's not always the case. And we know ourselves how sometimes, I know myself, people, you know, sometimes think that who knows what because I'm there. And it's not, I know myself. I know what I know. I know what I know. I know what I don't know. But I try to be honest with myself and don't let any any other people's flattery get to my brain too much because it's very corrosive. And it takes a person off of their game because they start thinking, I'm, I'm amazing, I don't need to do much more. Never do that. Never think for a second that you've made it because once you're no longer pursuing Chachma, you're a tippish. It's not my word. That's uh, one of the great Hasidish Rebbes, that a Chacham is only a Chacham while he's pursuing wisdom. But in, as soon as he thinks that he's attained wisdom, he's the biggest fool in the world. Don't be foolish. Don't allow other people to convince you that you're so rich when you know that you're not. It's better to be one of the people that think that everybody is convinced that you're poor, but really you have a lot of Tyra stuffed in your mattress. That's a much better way to be than to have people think that you're so wealthy in Tyra and really you're, you're bankrupt. Mitzvah Hashem, let's have a wonderful Shabbos. We should all be safe and, and happy and healthy. And uh, Mitzvah Hashem, as we're making our Hanas towards the summer, if I would tell you this Shmuz in a week from today, it would be too quick a transition because you'd already be in, uh, in summer mode. So now we have a week for all of us, myself included, to try to make real plans, chavrusas, learning, starim, chazara, shir, whatever it takes, and, and just up your game. Never settle for mediocrity. Don't be one of those people that are, people think are so wealthy, they ain't kali, they, don't have, they have nothing. It doesn't matter what people think about you. The, the, what matters is, what's the truth? And only we know the truth. There's... There's two people that know the two beings that know the truth, yourself and the Rabbi Nishalom. The rest of the world you can easily fool, but don't. Because by fooling the world, we're really just fooling ourselves. Have a good Shabbos.